If you have your Bibles, guys, I'm going to ask you to turn back with me to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And you know, we've been pulling some nuggets from our Wednesday study uh, from the book of Hebrews, and we've been talking about the last two settings, the discipline of the church. And know that when I say the church, uh, there's a Greek word that's called the ecclesia, the called out ones. I'm talking about the discipline of the called out ones. I'm not talking about religious folks. I'm not talking about somebody who's been in church all their life. You can be, you can be in church all your life. You can be religious but not be a part of the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones who are called out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ, a shining glory that's all over us now. Amen. So the ecclesia, the discipline of the ecclesia, the called out ones. So in, in, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, we know that in this study that the Hebrew Christians were facing some persecution. They were going through some things. They had some, some stuff going on in their life, not because they were just necessarily doing a bunch of wrong stuff, because the, the writer does correct them on some things. But most of the persecution that they were facing, what we saw at the beginning of this letter, was due to the fact that they had decided to leave Judaism and embrace Christianity. They had decided to leave the old way and embrace it. Are y'all with me? And some of their folks just couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle the fact that they had left what they were used to, what they came out of, what they grew up in, and now they are embracing, amen, the new covenant that is solidified by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ out on Calvary's hill. So now they, they, they're, they're, they've been kicked out of the temple, and now the families have disowned them. Now uh, friends that used to come over to dinner don't come over to dinner anymore. Any of y'all got any friends like that? You, before you were saved, they come over there all the time, drinking, slapping dominoes, playing all kinds of stuff. But now that you're saved and now that you don't do some of those things, they kind of shy away from you a little bit. So that's what was happening to these Hebrew Christians. So we, we, we began, we actually studied this book, and we finished up this past Wednesday, it is, it, it's a very uh, detailed book, a book that you have to be uh, doctrinally sound on and have to make sure that you understand the context so that we won't be led astray by false doctrine. So we go to this 12th chapter and we start talking about the discipline of the church because, guys, it is so critically important that we as the church, the ecclesia, and the call-out ones understand the value and the importance of discipline, the importance of being able to appropriately uh, guide somebody through a process where we can get them back and help restore them back to their proper place in God. So in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, uh, let's begin our reading at verse number six, Hebrews 12, verse number six, and we'll uh, jump on down through Hebrews 12, verse number six. It says, for the Lord disciplined those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. He says, as you endure this divine discipline, everybody say divine discipline. That means it's godly discipline. Remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? The text says if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Next verse says this. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, Shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Right, we're going to stop right there, okay, and talking about the discipline of the church. Now, I, I, in your outline I gave you, uh, it says that a key thought we're going to focus on and we're going to put at the forefront of our mind as we discuss this very important issue. The goal of discipline 
is to guide the learner into a life of righteousness. The goal of discipline is to guide the learner into a life of righteousness. Whenever God disciplines us, it is never just to, to just just to punish us. He's trying to he's trying to uh, get us to a point where we're living right, that we're walking in righteousness. Are y'all with me today? So that's the key thought. The goal is to guide the learner into a life of righteousness. Now, again, uh, the Hebrew word uh, yasar is translated in the KJV as chasing because in the KJV says whom the Lord loveth, he what? Chases it. Okay, so it's the word chasing, but more often the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word is translated as discipline or instructions in a lot of translations. Everybody say discipline, instruction. If you were to look in a dictionary, uh, you'll find several synonyms uh, for the word chasing. The synonym is a word that's 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 similar and mean, it means the same thing for the most part. But if you look in a regular dictionary, uh, you'll see words like punish reprimand, chastise, castigate, or, or discipline. And typically punish is, is listed first, and punishment is probably the first thing that comes to mind when people read Hebrews 12 and 6. But I'm going to tell you, if that's the first thing that comes to your mind, when you read Hebrews 12 and 6, when, when you hear it says, whom the Lord loves, he chases it, if you think about punishment, you got the wrong connotation. Your focus is, needs to be adjusted a little bit. So I'm going to try to adjust your focus today. Can I get a witness? Now, if y'all recall on last week, I gave you some things that we should not do when we have conflict or when we're confronting somebody, right? Now, we're not going to go back over those, but there was 10 things I gave you, and we're going to use this colloquial phrase, what we're not going to do. Everybody say, what we're not going to do. Have y'all heard it before? What we're not going to do is this. Okay, and I gave you those 10 things on last week. I don't have time to go back over those, get the notes, go to the app, and you can look those over. When we confront or we deal with an issue, there are certain things from a mindset standpoint that we should not do if we're going to effectively meet out church discipline. There's a way that we handle things as born-again believers. And, and, and I want to make sure that we are equipped. I want to make sure that we are in a position where we are uh, doing things the way God told us to do it. Now, at this point in his letter, the writer of Hebrews is about to explain just what the verse he quoted in 12 and 6 actually does mean. So, 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 so that he can demonstrate that the challenges and the troubles that Christians experience are both evidence of an intimate relationship with God as father and evidence of his parental. Any parent worth their salt. Can I say it again? Any parent that is parenting halfway the right way will exercise and utilize discipline in the life of their child. Now I'm going to say something which is, as we outline this because most of us, when we hear discipline, we immediately run to corporal punishment. But I will submit to you and I will surmise that when you start studying scripture, when the Bible talks about discipline, it's primarily talking about instruction and correction. Not necessarily I'm going to beat your butt. Now, listen, I will tell you that there are times for when God has to deal with us in a, in, a, in a more real way. But most of the time, what God would love for us to do is to hear his course correction and then turn our way around. All right. As a parent, I love it when my kids hear what I'm saying to them and they make a course correction. 
as a pastor, it, I tell y'all before, it just, it, it, it does my heart good when I see us studying a pastor scripture, studying a book, studying a subject matter, and then now you all of a sudden come back and say to me, Pastor, you know what? I heard what you said on last Sunday about being patient, and I knew I was going to be challenged this week. And, Pastor, you know what? I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. I, I wanted to say something, but, but I, I went outside and, and zipped my lips and came back inside, and I didn't say what I wanted to say, Pastor, because I was trying to exercise patience. When I hear that, it does my heart good. Because I know that if you come here Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, but this stuff doesn't take root, then, then what good are we doing? So we're talking about the discipline of the church. So, again, the writer here is, 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 is trying to explain just what that verse 12, 12, chapter 12, verse 6 actually meant. Now, let me say something with you because I think it's important for us to understand some of the cultural nuances that were happening at the time of this writing. Um, it was common during biblical times for a man to father both legitimate and illegitimate children. Are y'all with me? I would even go far to say it's still kind of common. But back then it was even socially accepted for a man to be have his legal wife and to have some concubines. Y'all know what a concubine is? All right. It, 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 was, it was not necessary, it was not, it, was, it was not a stain on their reputation during that time period to have a legitimate child and what we call an illegitimate child. Now, to prepare the legitimate child of his lawful wife to be his heir, he disciplined him by means of a series of tutors and a rigorous program of study and exercise of the mind, while at the same time, he relegated the illegitimate child to a life of carelessness and ease. Didn't really deal with him, didn't really have tutors, didn't take him through a process where he was learning things, but the legitimate child, he was instructing them, he, was, he had tutors, he was disciplining them, he was making sure that he got what he needed in order to be the heir of the throne. Are y'all tracking with me today? So again, legitimate Instruction, discipline, illegitimate. Oh, just do what you want to do. Are y'all with me? And so, so, so think about that for a second. If the, if the father did that with the legitimate child, there's an analogy there for us today because if the father who is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who the God, the father who created the heavens and earth, who gave us his son, if that father fails to discipline us, then we are illegitimate just like the society illegitimate child was treated. Are y'all tracking with me today? All right? So understand that now, okay? So, because the, the scripture text even tells us, let's see if we can get back there right quick. Go back to Hebrews 12 and, and look at, start at verse number 7, if you will. Hebrews 12, verse number 7. The discipline of the church. It says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his What? own children. You belong to him. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? Verse 8, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, remember what I told you a while ago? Back then, 
the, the outside child, the legitimate child, didn't, ex- didn't get the tutors, didn't get the instruction, didn't get the discipline because he was not going to be the lawful heir. If you're going to be the lawful heir, you're going to face some discipline because you belong to God. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. So what are you saying, Brother Pastor? Well, if you can sin and live like you want to live and there's no consequences coming your way, I think you better start checking to see if you really belong to God. If you got to do your own thing, there's no remorse, there's no conviction from the Holy Spirit, you better check and see if you really belong to it. Because if you belong to him, what the scripture says right here, if you belong to you, him, then he will discipline you. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate and not really his children at all. Now, I, I thought about this because a lot of times I like to use athletics as examples, and I just remember this when I was playing ball at Louisiana Tech, uh, how it was that if, if, a, if a person was not getting the reps during the practice week, you know, rep, in other words, every football team, if they're going to be any good at all, has to go through a process where they're practicing. They're repping what they're going to do on game day. But if I am there and I'm not getting any reps, all right, with the first team or the second team or even the third team, then the likelihood of me playing on Saturday or Friday or Sunday uh, was, was null and void. Can I get a witness? It's so like in the NFL, if you're on the practice squad, you practice and you do what the other team does in order to get the team ready, but you're not really getting any first or second team reps. All right? So if, if, if God is not bringing something your way, uh, when you sin uh, willfully, when you sin uh, uh, repeatedly, if God is not chastising you, if the Holy Spirit is not convicting you, then you better be careful and make sure that you know that you belong to him. That's all I'm saying. Are y'all with me today? So, so the underlying concept is, is one of, of correction and direction, which contribute to a person's training in righteousness. Go with me, if you will, to Proverbs Let's look at chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. And then we'll look at Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. So, 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 so the online concept is one of correction and direction. So when you think about chasing him, don't think about, oh, he's trying to, he's trying to just, just, just make me feel real bad. Now listen, God is trying to get all of us back to our proper place in him. And primarily, he's going to do it through instruction through corrective action, not the deeper level. Now, he can go there. Everybody say he can go there. But that's not his first choice. Are y'all with me today? Let's read together. It says what? Their purpose, go back back to verse number one. We don't want to start in the middle of it. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Next verse. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and what? And discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Verse number three, their purpose is to teach people to live discipline. Uh, Stop, stop. God does not have a problem with you being successful in life. What it says here, their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right, just, and fair. How many of y'all want to do what's right, what's just, and what's fair? With the word of God, 
Proverbs, these wise sayings uh, by Solomon, one of the wisest men that ever lived, were designed to help us to do what is right, to do what is just, and to do what is fair. Go to the third chapter of this very same book and look at verses 11 and 12. Talk about the discipline of the church. Talk about the ecclesia, of the called out ones. Watch the text here. It says, ready to read. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all are the type of people who get upset when somebody corrects you? Don't look at me like that. How many of you, uh, you, know, I, you don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you, but many of y'all can't stand correction. Let me put it this way. Most of us don't like to be corrected. Can I, can I put all of us in there? I'm not, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but all of us generally like to think that we're right about stuff. But when correction comes, the question becomes, how do you receive that? He says, my, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. Now, God will use people to correct you. Right? As a matter of fact, oftentimes he does. As a matter of fact, he'll, he'll use your pastor to correct you. Hello, Elizabethans. As your pastor, I'm God's representative to you here in this local assembly. And there are going to be times when a word of correction has to come your way. All right? The scripture says, don't be upset when God, through your pastor, corrects you. Now, let me ask you a question. Have there been any point in time in your journey of faith at EBC where you got mad at me because a word of correction came that, that, that you didn't agree with? It wasn't, it wasn't that you could prove that it was wrong. It's just that you didn't like what was said. Mm. Everybody said, mm. Yeah, think about that time. I want you to think about that time, okay? He says, my child, again, I told you before, it don't bother me that you get a little upset as long as you're willing to change when I show you what's right. And if you don't think I'm right, let's go to the scripture and let's reason out of the scripture. But don't just sit there and be mad because your, your stuff was called out. Because if you're here long enough, my stuff going to get called out, your stuff going to get called out, all of us going to have some stuff called out. Amen. And don't do like Fred Sanford. When the mail comes to your mailbox, don't, don't take it out and put it back in. <laughs> Y'all with me? Read the mail. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. Next verse, here's what the, here's what he, the writer of Hebrews quoted. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as the father corrects a child in whom he delights. Just like that earthly father who would not necessarily correct that illegitimate child, but with that legitimate child, he brought tutors in, instruction, guidance to prepare him to be the heir for the family. All right? So when the Lord, when the Lord corrects you, don't, don't get mad. All right, just say, mm, thank you, Jesus. Now, now listen, four things right here. He said, look at y'all line. Discipline is the primary responsibility of parents and especially of the father we, as it relates to rearing children. It's, it, discipline is the primary responsibility of parents and especially of the father. Because the Bible even talks to the father. He says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Too many of our families, the mama is the disciplinarian. 
The mama's the one who's bringing correction. The one who's reading scripture. The mama's the one who's praying for them. And I'm saying, daddies, wake up. Take your rightful place as the spiritual leader of your home. Okay? Y'all with me? So discipline is the primary responsibility of parents and especially the father. Second thing is, discipline is primarily verbal. God's very best, and if, if we were to receive God's very best, if we were to handle it the right way, if we got a word from God, we heard it and how it affects our life, if we would make course correction at the moment we hear that word, then, man, all things are good, right? But usually, some of us are a little hard-headed, right? He gives us a word, but we sit back and we do our own thing. Third thing, there is an element of punishment in discipline, but that is introduced only when the learner will not respond to parental discipline or to God's guidance. How many of y'all know when your mama told you, don't do that again? Clean your room up. How many of y'all have to tell your children two or three times to do something? All right? If you are doing that, think about this for a second. You actually are setting a, a, a bad precedent with your child. Because that child, after you, and some parents go, this, this, this kind of just let the thing just get all out of whack. In other words, they don't even move until you said it five times. Hello? Because what you've done is you've conditioned them that you ain't getting ready to do nothing after the first time. Right? Let me tell you something. If we're going to be God's children operating at peak performance, the thing that we got to begin to embrace in our walk as a believer is to learn how to, to identify God's word first and foremost. And then once we identify it and once we know what it says, then we immediately obey. Because really, guys, if you want to be truth, know truth about it, delayed obedience is disobedience. How many of y'all, when your spiritual self say this, well, I got to pray through that, Pastor. So, so let me tell you something. So, so what, you, what you're telling me is, pray about what God has already revealed his word for you to do. I'm not talking about something that's, that's a, one of those passages that there's a gray area. I'm talking about just right out, flat out, God's word said it. Even, even you and the Beverly Hillbillies will know what that means. I mean, it's just, it's just plain, but you got to pray through it. How, what you doing praying about doing the will of God if you belong to God? But it sounds, it sounds deep and it sounds spiritual. Now you're just disobedient. Well, I got, the, I got to feel it. You don't have to feel it. I told you before, be obedient and let your feelings catch up. Don't, don't let your feelings rule you because let me tell you something, baby. I've been there for, if your feelings rule you, you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. If I make decisions solely based off of how I feel and what my unctions are, baby, I'd be in a whole lot of trouble. I probably wouldn't be off pastor right by now. So we got to learn how to be obedient and let our feelings catch up with us. All right? So, so, so again, there, there, there is an element of punishment in discipline, but it's only introduced when the learner will not respond to the parent's discipline or God's guidance. And lastly, Discipline is an expression of love, not anger. Everybody say discipline is an expression of love and not anger. Go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. One of my favorite passages of scripture to go to. 
2 Timothy 3, 16. One of my favorite passages of Scripture to go to. Y'all know this because I, I, I bring it up all the time. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. Watch this, guys. Watch it. Text says this. Ready, read. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Stop. That, that's key to me every time I read that because that means that there are going to be some things in my life I don't even know is wrong until I get word on the issue. There are some things that feel right, but they're wrong. Loving you is wrong. I don't want to. I don't want to be right. What you mean you don't want to be? That's what you're feeling. Come on. How many of y'all remember the old R and B song? If being right mean being without you, <laughs> did you just say that? I'd rather be wrong than right. And guys, sometimes you feel that way. But but, but we got we, we got We got to get out our feelings. Feelings have to be aligned with principle, precept, command. Can I get a witness? So, 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 so all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in life. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what's right. Verse 17, come on, let's go, let's go. It says, God uses it. What is it? The word to do what? To prepare and equip his people now, I got a question for you. I got a question for you, you intelligent EBC members. If you never spend time in God's word, uh-huh. will you be prepared and equipped to do the good work? No. Not according to what the scripture says, because God uses it, the word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. But you think that you're special. You think you got a, a, a hookup with God that says, I don't really need that pastor. Now, you don't come out and say that, but you, your actions dictate and determine it. I know you come here on Sunday. Thank God for that. But we got to go a little deeper than that. Amen. He said, I didn't. God uses it, the word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Go to 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. Come on. Can we keep re- moving? The discipline of the church. I got to get through this thing today. Watch this. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9 through 12. Watch this. Ready to read. This is Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica. He says, don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. Watch this. You yourselves are our witnesses and so is God that we were devout and honest, and what? And thoughtless toward all of you believers. Next verse, let's go. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. Next verse. We encourage you and urge you in a way that God would consider worthy for he called you to share what? To share in his what? In his kingdom. We pleaded with you and encouraged you and urged you to live your lives 
in a way that God would consider what? Worthy. All right? So that means that we got to we got to make decisions that align with God's will and purpose for our life. Okay? Now, let's get, get into the meat of this, okay? So, if, if, if we're going to be the church that operates in this manner, and I would tell you that, for the most part, if this is being done right, this should be done primarily on a one-on-one basis. It shouldn't have to get to where two or three other folks or a council of people get involved. If the person hears the word and makes a course correction. By and large, church discipline needs to be a one-on-one thing. Are y'all with me? So let's look at it right quick, okay? So, so how do we prepare before we confront, before we go to somebody? Go to Micah, the sixth chapter, verse six through eight. How do we prepare ourselves to confront whether it's a, uh, a dispute between two believers, whether it's... Um, uh, a doctrinal issue or whether it's a confronting a moral lifestyle issue. How do we prepare to confront? Because when you confront or when you go and you, again, I've already told y'all and you'll already experience this when I, as your pastor over a period of time, if you're here long enough, I'm going to preach something that you're dealing with. Because the Bible speaks to all of our issues. And I, I've said, I said it before and I, I pray that y'all hear me. Nobody in here is so important that I'm going to direct the whole message at. And I swear for God, some of y'all be accusing me of talking to you. I'm talking to the whole body. Y'all heard it before? Swear for God. Y'all heard that, right? Y'all heard that, right? That's that little bit night coming out of me. Listen, nobody in here is that important for me to direct the message at. I promise you you're not. But I will tell you this, if I'm talking about life issues, I'm going to hit your stuff. I'm going to hit my stuff. Because all of us got some stuff that God's got to deal with. So when I hit your stuff, don't get mad. As the scripture says, don't, don't, don't get angry when the Lord corrects you. Just receive it as is God trying to keep you, amen, close to him because he, he desires to have that intimate relationship with you. Okay? All right. So watch Michael 6. Uh, what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? Verse 8, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what's right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Go to the KJV, that very same verse. I, I like the way it reads there. The KJV in that very same verse. Glory to God. Verse 8, it says, hath he, hath he showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require thee? What does the Lord require? But to what? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So let's, let's unpack those records. First of all, to prepare before, to prepare to confront, to prepare to to, to, to meet out church discipline, to, to prepare, to go to someone, uh, there's some preparation that we got to do. And most people don't prepare for stuff very well. As a matter of fact, when you get ready to get married, you need to prepare for marriage. Don't just up and do something. I like to do counseling uh, and take people through a process. But I do know and I recognize that even as we do premarital counseling, 
people can come in and they can say a whole lot of stuff and not be honest with me as, they, as they're talking. And sometimes I know that they're not being honest. Sometimes I just, I, I look at them and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> just a matter of time, it's going to be a problem. It's because we don't prepare. You got to prepare for all, all avenues of life. If there's a job that requires certain qualifications, you got to prepare yourself to meet those qualifications in order to be able to get in the door for the interview. Are y'all with me? Preparation is key. But why is it that we think something as, 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 as life-giving, something as important as our spiritual walk, that we don't have to prepare for anything? Why do we think that we can just show up and just start praying? Now, prayer is important, but there's preparation that's involved if we're going to do this particularly discipline, com- confronting and, and approaching someone so we can help them if we're going to do it the right way. Okay? So, number one, we got to act justly based off of what? Uh, this text says, when something is wrong, we should move to address it. Are y'all with me? Go to 1 Corinthians 5th chapter. We, we started off with this passage, but I want, I want you to go down to that 12th verse of that 5th of that chapter. Again, we know the story, the context of it. The Corinthian church was a very immature church, spiritually speaking. They had a lot of stuff going on in there that shouldn't have been going on in the Corinthian church. So much so that this, this guy had a public open sin going on and the church wouldn't do anything about it. Had an incestuous affair going on with his stepmother. All right? And the church, in all of their, in all of their spiritual gifts that were flourishing, because the church at Corinth, if you study it, they had spiritual gifts flowing out of the wazoo. From prophecy to healing to tongues, interpretation, man, spiritual gifts were flowing, but they had some raggedy lifestyle. Are y'all with me today? So watch, watch. So that same church, listen to what Paul told them. He says, uh, as a matter of fact, can we back up just a few verses? Let's go, um, if you will, Brother Jay, let's, let's go back. Uh, let's go back to, uh, to verse number nine. So I, I, I'm just trying to give context. I'm just giving context for this passage. He said, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Now, what's, back up, back up, back up, back up, back up. Back up, back up. What's it mean to indulge? To, to, to participate in? To me, the, the, the word indulge even goes a little deeper. It means, to, it means that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm all into it and I ain't really trying to get out of it. How many of y'all have indulged some bluebell ice cream before? You're all in it. You don't care what they're saying about it. Well, you don't eat. That ain't good for you. It ain't going to be good for me tonight. Ten does means to, to be all off into it. And, 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 and let me say this quite quick. Any born-again believer, in order for you to indulge in sin, in order for me to indulge in sin, I have to ignore something. I literally have to ignore and turn off my, my brain what the Word of God says about the issue. Because if, 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 if I'm sitting there and, and I start thinking about what the Word of God says, and if I hear Pastor Adams or whoever preaching the Word uh, that they're dealing with the thing I'm dealing with, I, I can't just keep going. So literally speaking, what you have to do is you have to turn off what you learn, ignore it, and let your flesh take over. Right? All right, watch it, watch it. When I wrote it to you, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Now, next verse, come on. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers. 
who indulge in sexual sin, or, or, or greedy, or cheat people, or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. All right? Now, again, remember, we're talking about caught up, ain't trying to get out. All right? I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy. See, see, some people think the only sin is your sexual sin. There's a whole lot of sins out there that people are committing, and we, we, we only want to go to two or three of them. There's a whole lot out there. Watch this. He goes, says, not just those, but those who are greedy, who worship idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people, don't even eat with such people. That's what Paul told the Corinthian church. Look at verse 12. Watch this. Come on, let's go. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility, Church of Corinth, to judge those inside the church who are, who are what? Who are what? Who have a practicing lifestyle of sin. Again, if this done right, this should be done more so on an individual level as we are in authentic community with each other. Because if we're in authentic community with each other, then I would hope that you be able to come to me and say, Pastor, you know what? I'm struggling a little bit in this area. Man, I need you to pray for me. I need you to watch over me. I need you to kind of check me. And listen, when you got those kind of relationships, listen, it, it helps to solidify you in your walk. Right? Right? I said, right? And some of y'all, some of y'all are like, hey, yeah, bro, Pastor, I ain't did nobody in my business. I got this little thing thing going on. You know, I'm doing this thing thing here, but just my little thing thing. Authentic community means that I got somebody who I can talk to about my struggles. Because we all got struggles. I said, we all got some struggles. Your struggle may not be my struggle, but it is a struggle. It is just as valid and it's just as real as mine. All right? It's my, it isn't my responsibility to judge the outside, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Is that what Paul said? Go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 15. So when something is wrong, we should, move, we should move to address it. In the realm of relationship, Ephesians 4 and 15, in the realm of relationship, we need to judge each other in the good sense of the word. The way Paul uses it when he tells us that we are responsible to judge each other's behavior and speak the truth to each other in love. That's what he said. Instead, go, go to the verse before this, back at one verse. Then we will know, back at one more, I'm sorry. <laughs> back at one more. <laughs> back at one more, I got to go one more. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Watch this. Their responsibility, those five-fold ministry gifts, is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church to body of Christ. This will continue, the building up of the body of Christ with those five-fold ministry gifts, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Listen, that will not happen until we see Jesus face to face. So that means that we need these five-fold ministry gifts to continue to pour into our life to help us be equipped to do the work, right? 
Keep going. Let's go. Come on. Come on. It says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about with every wind of new teaching. Stop following every Tom, Dick, and Harry who says I'm on the radio. We, don't, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth, what? In love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. All right? So, um, so when we look at this thing, we got, we got to make sure that we act justly. So when, when you prepare, when I prepare to confront someone's behavior, remember that it's a good thing for us to do. Right? It's the right thing, and it's a helpful thing. I can't tell you the number of relationships that I'm even counseling people through in, in my own life, relationships that are not right now because people fail to confront stuff that need to be confronted. Now, when I say confront, don't take that in a negative connotation. Confronting means just addressing the issue. Some of y'all are miserable right now, and the person who you're miserable because of, they don't even know it because you won't address the issue. You sit there in silence saying, well, you know, I just... I don't want to start nothing. I don't want to hurt them. Listen, baby, if you are a born-again believer, that person's born-again believer, you owe it to them to address the issue. Amen? This, you know, when we learn how to do this the right way, it'll keep us honest, guys. Look at Proverbs 15 and 32. Proverbs 15 and 32. Y'all still with me? So the first thing, we've got to act justly. Everybody say, act justly. When I'm facing the issue... I'm not coming in with barrels loaded trying to tear somebody up. I'm going in with the idea that discipline involves correction. It involves teaching. It involves making that person aware of what they're doing. Because some folks, I'm convinced, are not aware of what's going on and how they are impacting you. So you have to come to them and talk to them about it. Now, if you're dealing with a moral issue, we're talking about a moral issue, you know what a moral issue is, something that's not right, you address that issue with the person you're in a relationship with. But look at what the text says, 15 and 32, ready to read. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you're going to grow in understanding. Can you read that again? Let's read. If you reject discipline. In other words, when somebody comes to you and you know they're telling the truth, you know that what they're saying it's a valid concern, but you reject it. You got mad at the pastor to stop coming to church because he said something about your issue. I get that all the time. But that's cool. I mean, I'm still going to love you, but I still got to preach the truth. All right? If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow what? In understanding. See, when we, when we learn how to accept that, we, we, we get ourselves positioned to grow in the Lord. And when you act justly, it'll keep us honest, keep all of us honest in the confrontation and help us to avoid the tendency to minimize the problem or the issue uh, or, or, or to not take a firm enough stand against whatever is wrong. Remembering, remembering to act justly will help all of us go all the way and not hold back on the issue. Talk about what the real issue is. Don't beat around the bush. Don't, don't talk in code. Some of y'all talk in parables. You know what I mean to talk in parables? You know, when you're talking, I'm like, okay, now what did you just say? What are you trying to say? 
Just tell me what you want to say. Well, you know, Brother Pastor, you know, sometimes things ain't what you think it is. And what are you talking about? <laughs> well, you know, Brother Pastor, you know, um, you know, uh, you know I, I, I ain't wanting to carry no mess, though, but, but, but they said, well, who is they? Don't come to me telling them what, who they is. You can't tell them who they is. Some of the dumbest stuff. But we beat around the bush. Talk about the issue. If we're in authentic community, if you love me and I love you, I'll be to tell you the truth about the situation. I'll be to address the issue. Address the issue. Everybody say address the issue. Second thing is love mercy. He told him to act justly. And Micah said act justly. Number two, love mercy. To love mercy primarily signals kindness and compassion. All right? To love mercy. Matthew 5 and 7 tells us to be merciful. Go to Colossians 3, 12 through 15 with me right quick. So everybody say, love mercy. If I'm going to love mercy, because when I deal with an issue, I'm not trying to harm the person. We're trying to deal with the issue. Because we're in an authentic community together, and as we deal with this issue, it's going to help you to grow, and it's going to strengthen our relationship in Christ Jesus. text says this, Paul writing to the saints of Colossians, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with what? Tender-hearted mercy. With what? Kindness, humility, gentleness, and what? And patience. Next verse, let's read. Make allowance for each other's faults. We all have them. Quit throwing people away because they got them. You got them too. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who, who does what? Forgive anyone who does what? Forgive anyone who does what? So how many of y'all been offended before in the body of Christ? So what's your responsibility? To forgive anyone who offend you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So if you, ha- if you happen to feel like it, you can forgive them too. No, it's not what it says. It says, so you mu- must forgive others. 14 and 15, let's go. Watch this. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. See, love is, should be the motivating factor for church discipline, not anger. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Verse 15, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace And always be what? Always be thankful. So to love mercy primarily signals kindness and compassion. It means to to bow to someone in kindness and in favor and good deeds. In other words, to be good to them, showing understanding and love. So when you're addressing an issue, you, you come in kindness and compassion. No, listen to me. It's easy to be mean in exercising justice. Since the truth can be tough on people, you know that? But to love mercy says that in administering truth in any confrontation, in any church discipline, I mean, I must and we must be kind and compassionate as well as honest. With your family members, be kind and compassionate and honest, but there's still issues that got to be addressed. Some of y'all are, 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 are sweating Christmas right now. 
Because when the family gets together, you know it's going to be some stuff. And really, the reason why it's a lot of times it's some stuff because you hadn't addressed the issue and you start feeling a certain kind of way. Address it on in judging. In judging, we don't judge in a condemning way. We do it in an evaluative way uh, without condemnation. The way Paul told the Corinthian church to do, it is your responsibility to judge those inside the body of Christ who are part of the ecclesia that are sinning. The problem that many of us have is we're trying to judge folks outside the church. That ain't your job. Sinners sin. That's what they do. So why are you sweating people who aren't even born again trying to get them to live right? No, get them saved first and get them discipled. When you get them saved and discipled, they'll live right. Okay? You're wasting all your breath trying to, trying to get somebody who even, don't even know Jesus. But the church, inside the church, part of the body of Christ, we owe it to them. We owe it to ourselves to, to, to do this in mercy. We've got to love mercy while we're doing it. If we're going to confront people who we are in relationship with, they must know that we are for them and not against them. Isn't it amazing how when you try to help somebody out of the situation, they attack you? Have y'all ever been attacked by people who you're trying to help? You're trying to help get them where they need to be, but they're attacking you because you're dealing with the issue. Deal with the issue appropriately, but in a God-honoring way. Peep this. Everybody say, peep this. All right, just write this down if you will. I heard, I, I, I like this. Listen to this. Go hard on the issue and soft on the person. I didn't, I didn't, that, that, I wasn't original. I read that. I said, I like that. Go hard on the issue and soft on the person. Everybody say, go hard on the issue and soft on the person. Number three, walk humbly with your God. See, to be humble before God means you are answerable to him, open to correction by him, all right? Open to correction by him about your attitudes and fearful of him in the good sense that he's guiding the process. He's, when it comes to church discipline, God should be the one that's guiding the process. If you will, go with me right quick to Philippians 2, verse 1 through 2. Go humbly with your God. Now, this means if he's guiding the process, that means that I'm not going to assume the role of God and judge and condemn a person to heaven or hell. I don't, I, I, I don't, listen, we're not smart enough. That's above our prayer grade to determine if that person is really saved or not. God's going to do that. But we have a responsibility to deal with those issues. If they say they're born again, I've said before and I've said again, when, when, when this thing does wrap up, we're going to be surprised at who's there and who's not there. Because we don't know the heart of people. You can come in every Sunday for two weeks out of the year, your heart not be right. But you look the part, you sing in the choir, you, you do all kinds of stuff, but is your heart right? They're going to be, so though Jesus said they're going to be coming, somebody going to come and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we not cast out demons in your name? Lord, didn't we do this for you? He said, depart from me, you workers of a nick, I never knew you. All that stuff looks good. But where is your heart? God knows where you stand. So I'm not trying to judge you uh, based off of whether or not you can be in heaven or hell. That's God's job. But we do need to deal with sin in the church and those who we're in authentic authentic relationship with, authentic community with. Watch the text. 
Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? I, that's why I got it. Is your heart tender and compassionate? Or are you a mean old something something? Any mean ones over here? Any mean ones over here? Any mean ones over here? There are some folks who don't even know they mean. And you need to start telling them you mean. Because if, if I'm, if I'm going to exercise church discipline the right way, I got to come to heart of compassion. Amen? Amen? amen. amen. All the mean folks in the house say amen. <laughs> I didn't get no amen, did I? You don't, well, I just tell the truth, pastor. No, you mean. Stop being mean. Okay? Stop being a meanie beanie. All right. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Next verse. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Watch this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Boy, I think so. I thank the Lord that I, that, that I'm, that I don't try to impress people. Because, you know, you know, the bigger the house you get, the fancier car you get, somebody's always got one bigger and always fancier. Somebody can always outdo you. So quit trying to impress people and, and, and be, a, be about loving God and being a quality representative of him. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as what? As better than yourself. Thinking of others as better than yourself. It's the heart of Jesus here. Watch this. Next verse. Come on. Let's go. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others who, in the spiritual condition of others too. Don't just be concerned about yourself. Well, if you don't want that, they ain't got to get it. No, no, no. Authentic community means that I'm there to help you. You're there to help me. Watch this. Next verse. It says, you must have the same attitude, the same mind that Christ Jesus had. He goes on and talks about the, the, the humility of Christ who left the privileges of deity to come down here to, to the earth, to be born in a manger in Bethlehem, to die on the cross of Calvary, to be buried and resurrected from the grave so that you and I could have a relationship with God. That kind of mindset. How many of y'all are willing to give up something to help somebody else along the way? So, so when we talk about walk humbly with your God, that means that we don't assume the role of God as a judge and decide whether somebody's going to heaven or hell. But we should be evaluating, identify with that person we are confronting as a fellow imperfect human being, and don't lord it over them. We still, all of us are equal. As, uh, no, no, nobody here is any better than anybody else. All right? But when we have to deal with an issue, let's deal with the issue in a God-honoring way. If you are hurt or angry, uh, and, and you, you got to be careful because if you're hurt or angry, you might be tempted to deal with those feelings destructively, Okay? If, if, if you don't have God telling you to be nice, and God does tell us to be nice, be kind and what? Compassionate, even as we deal with those issues. It'll help us uh, when we desire to walk in God's ways and be like him when we go to confront, when we go to deal with these issues, okay? Now, three possible reactions. Close it out on this. Understand this when you get ready to go do it. Number one, you can be received well, the person gets it, and all ends well. You, look those scriptures up when you get home, okay? 
In other words, the person received it, like Matthew 18 says in 15, when you go to them, uh, they receive it, you gain your brother. Notice now when you get ready to go, because some people ain't going to receive you the right way. Who do you think he is? First, you can, be, you can be received well. The person gets it, and it all ends well. Number two. Second, you may face resistance, defensiveness, or some other form of opposition. These are scripture references I have for you. Look them up when you get home, okay? Thirdly, you may face not only resistance, but retaliation. Stephen, in the book of Acts, the seventh chapter, faced retaliation when he called them stiff-necked, hard-hearted folks who, who killed every prophet that came from God. He called them stiff-necked and hard-headed, and they, 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 they just put their hands in their head like this and started yelling and took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Sometimes when you deal with people, they're going to retaliate. But the question is, are you still willing to do what God tells you to do? Are you still willing at the, at the, at the expense of maybe somebody being defensive, at the expense of somebody retaliating? Are you willing to speak truth into people's lives? And that's what God is asking us to do. Because the discipline of the church is very important. The reason why I, I believe that the church has been ineffective in the time that we're living in right now is because too many people are pulled away from the truth of God's word. As the Bible said what happened. In the last days, men would not endure sound doctrine. They're going to heap to just having itching ears, telling them what they want to hear. Don't address sin. Don't talk about what's wrong because, you know, we all got something going on. Yeah, we do, but address the stuff in a God-honoring way. The discipline of the church is very important. God disciplines us because he loves us. If you really love people, you won't see them heading toward a ditch and just watch them go in and talk about, mm. Yeah. I knew it was going to happen. I saw it. Well, why didn't you say something? Why don't you keep quiet? Well, you know, I don't want to be in nobody's business. If you're a part of the body of Christ and, and, and you're in authentic community, there are times when stuff comes to you, you have to address stuff. Do it the right way. Not mean-spirited, but kind, merciful. And let the Holy Spirit have its perfecting work. The discipline of the church is very important. Let's start operating that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you.